2: listening to The Zone 1 of Walkie Talkie's podcast. I'm Noah Bono, your host. The role reversal that's going on in this Lakers-Warriors series between Steph Curry and LeBron James has been, as a LeBron fan, fascinating to watch because for so many years during these Curry and LeBron battles, it's just been LeBron fighting to have a supporting cast. And I always go back to, obviously, the last time they matched up against each other in the postseason, which was in 2018 when LeBron carried that Cleveland team that had no business being in the finals. And Golden State had Kevin Durant. They were fresh off their second championship and their first one with the KD era. And now we're in this scenario where LeBron's obviously in a different phase of his career. Curry has is also kind of in a different phase of his career where he looks like he's gotten even better than he was during the first three championships before getting the fourth one last year. But the scenarios have changed because the Lakers' depth is insane. And the Warriors depth that we all thought was supposed to be there with the young guys blending in with the old guys has been non-existent for the most part. And you can take Jordan Poole as an example, 17 points, four assists a game on 50% shooting during last season's championship run. This year, postseason, not the same. In the last two games versus the Lakers in LA, he's averaging two points, excuse me, two and a half points. Uh, four assists, three rebounds. He has three turnovers. He's 0 of 6 from threes, 2 of 15 from the field, which is 15%. He's just been non existent. So it's a different guy. And he's just one of the examples. Like the Andrew Wiggins that helped Curry win the title in Boston last year, who was clearly their second best player uh, in that series, he's been fine, but he hasn't been the guy he was last year. So then you look over at the Lakers' roster, and it's just any given night. You're going to get what you get from LeBron. For the most part, you're going to get what you get from AD. And then it doesn't really matter who the third option is, whether it's D'Lo, whether it's Austin Reeves, Rui Hachimura. Then we saw in game four, it was Lonnie Walker. Like, the depth on this team is is almost infinite. They're deep. They're big. They're physical. They're strong. They got different bodies. They can throw at different people. And I just thought watching that game in game four, and I mean, obviously, Curry wasn't great, but like... Clay was bad. Draymond was bad. Poole's non-existent. Like their second best player was Gary Payton II. And it's like, you're just not going to win that way if you're the Warriors. And so that that role reversal has been something to watch because it's just, uh, it, I have to speak biasly because I'm a LeB- I'm a LeBron fan and it, and it's almost just been refreshing to see this, not even because it's against the Warriors. I think it's, Even it makes it even sweeter that it is against the Warriors because there's been so many matchups with the Warriors where LeBron didn't have any help and just him doing it by himself. And then he gets criticized for losing and getting swept in the 2018 finals when he was amazing and, you know, broke his hand after game one and still averaged over 30 points for the series and was incredible. And it's like now it's Curry and it's Curry kind of on his own, even though he's not on his own. It's just that, you know, some of his championship pedigree guys aren't playing that well. It's just interesting, and I'm just happy overall to see that LeBron James finally has some help because he is older. That foot clearly is a problem. He clearly did need surgery, still does need surgery, and that's going to happen in the offseason. Whenever this Lakers season comes to an end, whether the Warriors come back 3-1 and they lose in round two or they lose in round three or they get to the finals and lose there or they get to the finals and win, however their season ends, when this season ends, LeBron James will have surgery on that foot. I can guarantee it. Uh, I'm not a doctor, but you can just tell. In the month of January, the man was averaging 35 points per game for the entire month. And now everybody wants to run and oh, LeBron James isn't the same. Uh, are you sure? Are you sure? Because if you look at this very season, he was putting up numbers that everybody across the entire basketball world was like, oh my God, LeBron still got it. Oh my God. Look, do you see what LeBron's doing? It's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I saw it and then he got hurt. Okay, so I think he's a little debilitated. He's definitely being more conservative because he now knows he can rely on a lot of these role guys. And he also knows, for the most part, Anthony Davis, pending health, which knock on wood, we hope he stays healthy, he can really rely on him. He can really shoulder a heavy burden, offensively, defensively, more so defensively, as we saw game game four, he tires out in that fourth quarter. He kind of hides on offense because he's exerting so much energy on defense. And part of that is fine, but part of that is, a, you know, Going to need him to step up a little bit more in those fourth quarter situations because he can he can get the Lakers easy buckets and keep the lead, maintain a lead, you know, with his little shots around the rim. So that's something to keep track of. But I do think LeBron is hurt. He's conserving a lot. Um, he's got gas left in the tank. I know it. I'm not going to get blinded by the fact that you know this is the player LeBron has become. It's not. It's not. I saw this guy averaging 35 a game in an entire month of January. 35 points a game. He was unreal. So. I I don't care you know obviously I don't want him to get hurt but I don't care about all the extra noise that he isn't the player that he once used to be he's not you're right but he's still very much like that guy and this injury put that aside and he's still pretty much that version so I think we're going to get some real LeBron explosions later in this postseason run as these rounds he gets into these last two rounds if they can obviously close out the Warriors and then Western Conference Finals, Finals, I think we're going to start to see a lot more of him. Um, Oh, and my last thing before we go to a quick break is they will close out the dubs tonight in five games in Golden State. Nice gentleman sweep. I know that it's not, they're not favored. They're seven and a half point underdogs. You obviously got to think Warriors come out swinging and I think the Warriors are going to come out swinging. I think they're going to have a great first half, but I think when the dust settles and the Lakers settle into the game, settle into the crowd. I think that they're just going to overpower this team the way that they've kind of done over the course of three of the first four games uh, outside of that game two blowout. I, I think that they're just going to kind of it's going to come to a head. Golden State season is going to come to an end. There's just no not only is there no reason for Golden State to win this game other you know unless they really had the miraculous three to one comeback in them which would be devastating uh, for myself and for everyone that is a Laker fan and wants to see LeBron and these guys win the t- uh, chip. That'd be terrible. But I don't see it happening. I think that the Lakers handle their business tonight. I think that they know they want two to three extra days of rest that they can get and avoid having to play a six game. Um, And so I think they're going to come out guns blazing. I think the Warriors are going to come out guns blazing, but I think over the course of this 48-minute game, Lakers are going to be able to dictate pace, flow, physicality. uh, And I think the Warriors are just going to end up submitting. feels like one of those games. So interested to see what actually ends up transpiring. That's my take for the night. Um, I would take Lakers plus seven and a half. Uh, I already have money on the money line, so Okay, Embiid, Harden. I tweeted this out yesterday before the game started uh, in some quick takes. I said quick takes without an explanation, and one of the one of the notes in there was that Embiid and Harden were going to upset the Celtics. Now, I didn't mean in Game 5, but I did mean in the overall series. Um, but the fact that they were able to take Game 5 versus losing, going down 3-2 and having to win back-to-back Game 6, Game 7, and winning a road Game 7 in Boston, and they were able to take this Game 5 is huge. And they kind of did it in very blowout-esque dominant fashion. They they really controlled the entire game. Al Horford stunk. I can't believe that's the first player that I'm naming for the Celtics, but it stood out to me because he put up a donut and he was, wasn't was good. A couple good plays defensively, but he wasn't giving Embiid the problems he was giving him in game four. Jason Tatum, he was 36-10-5, 11-27 from the field. That's 40%. He played 40 minutes. Um I, I don't. I don't know, man. I've been on Philly's train all year, and a lot of it has been a bias because I love James Harden and I love Joel Embiid. But but I gen, I I mean, aside from the Embiid injury, which is unfortunate that he's even again dealing with an injury in the postseason, um, I don't know to what extent it was debilitating him. Uh, I mean, I know that he obviously had to get his rhythm back, and I don't know what what I meant to say. I don't know to what extent this injury is debilitating him on a game-to-game basis. But for instance, last night, 33-7-3, 37 minutes. He was 10 of 23, so a shade under 50%. Um, well, I guess that's not a shade. 43%, not a, not a shade under. But regardless, the knee is definitely still imp- impacting him to some degree. James Harden had one of his little more conservative games. He was 17, 10, and 8, only took 8 shots, played about... 40 minutes, 39 on the stat sheet. Um, But then it was the production that they got from Tobias Harris. Tyrese Maxey had a 30 ball. Uh, He was great in 42 minutes. He was 10 at 21. That's a shade under 50%. So I I just don't trust the Celtics. I don't really think that the Celtics in late game situations, in dire close game, methodical X and O's, coaches, duels. I don't love, you know, the ability of either coach on both staffs where they're going to, you know, X and O duel it out like a like kind of what we're seeing with Golden State and the Lakers with Steve Kerr and Darvin Ham. But I just my overall point of, of saying that is that I just think that, and I've heard Bill Simmons and Ryan Rossillo talk about this on their show. You know, the way that Joe Missoula operates in late game situations, and like his, you know, take game four for instance, and not calling a timeout. Somehow, some way, Marcus Smart finds himself in these situations always and he's the guy taking these end of the game shots. I I don't get it. Cool. I've seen him make a couple. We've seen him hit a couple shots. Fine. Late game situations. There's no shot clock. You got the ball. Tatum goes super late into that that end of game play and Marcus Smart takes the shot at the end of OT. It didn't even get the shot off in time. But it's just like I I don't even get it. Like he His involvement late in the game for the Celtics is just way too much. It's, it's way more than it should be. And, and my point in bringing up Simmons and Rossillo is that they, they argue sometimes that like Marcus Smart shouldn't even be out there. And I was listening to him the other day, and they're like, All right, but that's the locker room cancer that probably comes in if you bench Marcus Smart and you play Derek White over him or you have White and Brogdon out there over him. And it's like, yeah, I pro- Marcus Smart probably doesn't receive it well. Maybe he does. I, I personally think he would receive it well. I think that uh, externally he would show support. He would be fine. Maybe internally it would cause a little bit of extra antics and drama. But his involvement late in the game, Joe Missoula's play calling and just decision-making like and the ability or the willingness to just let them free ball it out there almost in late-game situations like that not just call a timeout, not just really hone in on this is what we want to get out of this set. Like I I feel like there's been time and time again this season where they just haven't done that and it costed them in that game 4 at the end and and I I you know it's a tough it's a tough one. I, I think they can go back to Philly um and they could they could of course win game 6. They could of course win game 6. Do I think that they're going to? No, I don't. Because I think that Philly knows we can't go back to Boston for a game 7 and win that game. So we got to get it done here. We got to get it done now. I think it's dire for Philly. To win this game. This is the best chance that they've had to get to the Eastern Conference Finals since they've had this team with Harden. Now, they had some chances in years prior in the late 2010s when they had Simmons and, you know, they had the second round series in 2018 when they lost to Boston. And there's been a number of other times, obviously the Atlanta series in 2021 when Ben Simmons wouldn't shoot the layup and, you know, Atlanta ends up getting to the Eastern Conference Finals. Or in 2019 when they're literally seconds and bounces on the rim away from Kawhi Leonard shot not going in when they were in Toronto that had Jimmy Butler on that team. I've felt from the jump this year that this is Philly's season. This is their year. Harden takes the pay cut. They go get P.J. Tucker. and Embiid's riding an ultimate high. He's on a revenge tour for not getting the MVP. It's been two years in a row coming into this season where it was like, ooh, Embiid's making a strong case for the MVP. Can we give it to him? First year when Jokic won it, Embiid didn't play enough games. Last year, still kind of similar. He didn't play enough games. He had that little two-week stretch where he was out, and, and they gave it to Jokic. And but this year, he was dominant in all facets. He averaged 33 points a game, led the league in scoring again, and it was his turn to win the MVP. And I felt it, and I just felt the energy with Harden and the positivity with Harden and the optimism of like, no, like this is my chance. I, I, like well, I want to get this done here. Like I'll, yeah, I'll take a pay cut so we can sign him, so we can like that's all part of what goes into this stuff and and if you want to call it good karma call it good karma. So I'm I I've, I've been on the Philly train from the jump. I have. Now they've been a little shaky and James Harden's playoff thing. That's still a really that's still a real thing. It exists. James Harden in the playoffs folding, crumbling and not being that guy is a thing. I mean, you, it happened in this very series. You go from you go around from 45 points in game one, hitting the game-winning shot, to 12 points in game two, and you're 2 of 14 from the field. And then you follow that game up in game three with 16 points, and you're 3 of 14 from the field. So, like, it's happened already in this series. And then he follows it up, of course, with the thrilling 42-point game four, game-winning shot. He was fantastic. but I, So I'm aware. I'm aware that the playoff hardened thing is still very real, and it could come into play here as Boston tries to push this thing to seven and, and win it in seven, but I'm on the Philly train. I think that they got what it takes. And I think that they will close this out in six games. And that the type of team that Boston is and how they've been up there with the best record next to the bucks. And they've been dominant during stretches of the season. I just think that they've had enough weird problems and enough of a roller coaster ride during this season, where it makes sense that the the Philadelphia 76ers can, definitely, and they're obviously in the position to do it now, definitely take advantage of this little Boston championship window and close it. Not fully close it, but close it. Because they, sh- they, they were in the finals last year. They could have won the finals last year. They probably should have won the finals last year if Jason Tatum plays a little bit better and is more consistent. And they come into this year, they lose Emi Odoka, they hire Joe Mazzula, and yeah, they got off to a great start. But they have their shit has come to a head, and they have shown... like. They ain't perfect. They got a lot of problems. They got a lot of flaws, and yesterday in Game Five was an example of that. And I think Philly gets it done close it out. All right, quick break. I got one more thing I want to rant about about Lakers Warriors, and then we'll wrap it up. Be right back. Okay, quickly. Back to the Lakers since they played tonight. I haven't even mentioned Knicks heat. It's not worth mentioning, okay? Because as a guy from New Jersey, I grew up watching the Knicks. Loved the Carmelo era, Carmelo Anthony era in New York was watching every single game on MSG network when I was, you know, from 5th grade and all the way up until Melo left and got traded to the Thunder and I was in uh, 11th grade maybe. I don't even remember. But Point is, not even worth talking about because they're going to lose. They're probably going to lose in five. I, I mean, uh, I would love to see him get a win in the garden, keep some some hope alive, even though I don't see them coming back from a 3-1 deficit. Um, but aside from them, Laker game tonight, the chess match between Steve Kerr, Darvin Ham, how they've been utilizing the Warriors' offense to mismatch the, the Lakers' defense and how they're utilizing Anthony Davis and, you know, Game four, just throwing him in a bunch of pick and roll actions and getting him away from the rim. It really was working early in the game. It was like, oh, shit. Like, I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, if I was the coach, what is the one thing you can do that when Anthony Davis is being brought away from the basket in these pick and roll coverages because they're sending the man he's guarding up to set the screen? What can you do to counteract that so that he can just stay near the rim like, and send someone else up there? One of the broadcasters said it. I think it was Stan Van Gundy was announcing the game or Jeff Van Gundy was in Stan, Stan, S S V G, Yeah, SVG. He was announcing the game and he said when he comes up and is in the ball screen action, like he's just got to blitz him. He's got to blitz him way harder. He's got to show more of a presence, use his length, take two hard steps out there and put some real pressure on Curry in that ball screen action so that that way the backside help can fill in and wait a little bit because Curry's now pulled out even further to half court and he's a little bit more rattled. He's not as comfortable playing out of that pick and roll because Anthony Davis's length and energy and just presence being around that long body around Curry in a pick and roll situation like that, blitzing it, that can disrupt some things and, and make the offensive player a little bit more uncomfortable. So, um, the Warriors were doing a great job of it in the, in the beginning of game four. And then towards the end of the game, they totally abandoned it. I mean, for the most part, like it wasn't even a thing. And, and the thing that I loved the most about game four that I hope we get even more of tonight was the amount of times that we got Curry on LeBron because LeBron was hunting Curry in the pick and roll. He wanted them. Whoever's guarding Curry, come set me the screen. Let him switch on to me. Let's do this. I loved it. And then there was a million times, I not a million, but several times in the fourth quarter where LeBron was on Curry. AD switched on to Curry, and obviously that last possession that we saw when Curry took the little one-foot step back inside the three-point line, missed, Draymond gets the rebound, kicks it back out. That last possession, he takes the 45-foot step back three. That was honestly a horrible shot, um, and I'll get to that in a second. But those matchups are great, and it's so fun to see these guys dueling 1v1, Like, and it's just coming down to the stars. Um, two heavyweights. And it's so fun for the fans to see. Uh, Let me let me let me just get off this this for a second and talk about the shot because Steph Curry shot late in the game. Like, yeah, I was clenching and I was like freaking out like, oh, God, no, no, no. Like, it's going to like I thought I didn't I don't know if I thought it was going to go down. But anytime that man shoots and the the Lakers or whoever they're playing doesn't have more than a six point lead, like I'm terrified. Because I, 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 he just he's the most dangerous, like lethal guy from any spot on the floor. So I don't really care how far away he was. I was just scared. However, I didn't take into account that in Steph Curry's postseason career, in the final minute of game tying or uh, lead taking shots, I think he's zero for twelve in those situations. He's never hit one to tie the game or put them up in the postseason. So that's an interesting stat. And so that if I knew that stat prior, I probably would, probably would have felt better about when that shot went up, but. um My point is, that shot, right, versus the game one Jordan Poole shot are totally different. Now, of course, you want Steph Curry taking the shot. I do, too. But Jordan Poole's shot in game one, he had already hit six three-pointers. He was wide the fuck open, and he's made a shot like that plenty of times. Oh, and by the way, in that same game, two of the shots Jordan Poole hit were ridiculous. They were one of them was that crazy running, like trying to draw a foul and he's like leaning forward to the left and he drills it the other one he was coming up the court uh on the towards the right guard spot, I believe it was, and he banked it in and it was just like what that really went down like and then the other four like he just were were rhythm threes, and he was feeling it he found a little bit of a rhythm so that shot in game one like he was wide open and did I love it no, but did I think it was a bad shot uh, no like I thought that it was appropriate for the time and score. And yes, he probably could have taken a dribble in, but like the rhythm that he had, like with already hitting six threes and being six of, I think he was six of 10 at the time, finished six of 11 from the three line, like that's a fine shot. And obviously you want Curry taking the shot, but the way that the play transpired, doubling Curry at half, swing to Draymond, Draymond swings to him, he's wide open. But my point is that shot versus Curry's shot. I would have felt even more terrified if I saw Steph Curry say, fuck it, I'm putting this on the deck. I'm going to make Anthony Davis get around me, or I'm going to get around Anthony Davis and make him guard me, slide his feet, and I'm going to get into this paint like I've been doing this entire fourth quarter and make a play. And whether it's I make a play at the rim for myself, I draw a foul or I find an open shooter and I get them a wide open look, fine. But I just think that Curry's like, the level of lethalness that gets added to his game when he... Is dribbling the ball around the court with that insanely tight handle. And this is his speed and his craftiness, his creativity, his touch around the rim. Like, I would have felt even more scared if he put the ball on the deck because the Lakers were in scramble mode. So when he threw that offensive rebound out and he had time, I know that legs were a part of it. I know that he was tired. I know that it was just like a God, if I could just hit this shot. Like, but you're only down one, man. Go to the fucking rim. Go to the bat. I, I can't stand it. But, like, what are we settling for a fucking 35-footer for when you're down one? Get your ass into the paint. Like, I know you're Steph Curry. That's fine. But like, I just, like, the settling as a guy that was rooting for the Lakers, I was like, okay, fine. I was still nervous. I, I said that. I was still nervous when he shot it because it's Steph Curry. But I was so happy that he didn't put the ball on the floor because I'm like, huh. <laughs> If this guy puts the fucking ball on the floor, something's going to happen. The Lakers are going to scramble. The Warriors are going to keep moving and passing and find the open guy and get the, get, a, get the greatest look they can get. And I don't think that in that scenario, down one, 102 to 101, that they got the best look that they could have gotten. So that's on Steph Curry. I think that that shot that he took was a worse shot than what Poole took, given the time and the score and the situation uh, of how that play broke down. Pools was a little bit more in rhythm. Curry's was a little bit more like, I'm Steph Curry, so I'm just going to fucking shoot this. And I just don't think it was the best look that they could have gotten in that scenario. So that's a wrap. Zone one. See you guys back here throughout the rest of the postseason.